What's up, NBA fans? Welcome to the 2020 NBA Finals. We had doubts whether or not we'd be here. So much has happened within this year. Uh, from the pandemic to the boycotts to the social justice movement. I mean, it came down to two moments within this summer where we thought the NBA was going to be over. Obviously, pre-bubble. And then during the bubble, we weren't even sure if the bubble would actually hold true and keep this NBA season rolling. But it started. We got through the regular season. And then we obviously had the boycott midway through that where it put some serious doubts on whether it was the right thing to do to continue with an NBA season. But a compromise was reached and things kept rolling through. And here we are now after an exciting playoff series, both in the Eastern Conference side and the Western Conference side from the Miami Heat, the Lakers, the Denver Nuggets. Shout out there to that team. Shout out to the Boston Celtics, the Toronto Raptors. Uh, even the Utah Jazz, I'm going to give them a shout out, taking the Nuggets to seven games. Uh, no the Portland, shout out for the Clippers. No, maybe not for the Clippers. <laughs> I'll give a small shout out also to the Trailblazers because for a second there. <laughs> Why not? Why you, not? <laughs> you made some really smart people who are on national TV think that they might have a, a thrilling pick <laughs> by make, taking the tra- Portland Trailblazers. But nonetheless, here we are, Miami versus Lakers in the NBA Finals. Game one just finished uh, 40 minutes before this recording. You know Sean and I tuned in. Uh, I am so excited that we have arrived at this point. And, you know, given what was said at the beginning of the year, what we saw on paper, what we saw in terms of records, what we just saw in the last four weeks, I do believe that we are seeing the two best teams meet in the NBA Finals right now. And what a game one in terms of like the first few minutes to start this. But it is a yeah. game one and I do believe adjustments will be made. And nonetheless, we I do think we're we are on our way to seeing closer games. But you know, game one just ended. Lakers take one zero victory here. And let's just break this down. Uh Sean, I know you're excited also to share your thoughts. So I quick yeah. shout out here. No trivia question for this episode, but a quick shout out here that we did see president former president obama make an appearance and that was pretty freaking cool but nonetheless <laughs> sean what do you what are your reactions to this game one that we just had yeah well i want to also mention uh shack was right next to him True. on that virtual cam so that, that was pretty awesome so you had another few people in that stands that were very uh very interesting nba folks you got james worthy in there you had dirk nowitzki in there too so a lot of hall of famers in there alongside the pre- the former president there but man this game had all the makings of a very good finals through one quarter and that all changed very very quickly and i i don't want to blame injury i don't want to blame just like Dragic going down, Bam Adebayo going down. I do want to give the Lakers the full amount of credit for what they were able to pull off today because they looked so dialed in. And we can ignore that first six minutes. You, you, you get finals jitters. I mean, the Miami Heat were playing great in those first six minutes, but the Lakers responded. And when they did respond, the Heat just had no answer to what they were doing. Uh, it was very strange to me. It was a very strange game in that it seemed like that once the Heat gave up the lead, they gave up the game. Like, they just stopped caring. 
This wasn't the, the Lakers are used to a team in the Denver Nuggets who after they make a push, the Nuggets fight back and they have to play the full 48 minutes and that's what you saw the Lakers kept fighting the entire game no matter how much they were up they did not let up a single bit and i think that the nuggets are a big reason for this is because they know that no lead is safe until you're up maybe 30 points in the fourth quarter and then you let up a little bit and maybe give Allen a little more stress than he probably needs tonight <laughs> but at the end of the day they just played such a flawlessly executed game and they just look dominant. And even from guys like KCP, like KCP is the reason that they bounced back in that first quarter. He scored like eight points in a row. And I'm just like, man, if the role players are going to play like this, the Lakers cannot be stopped. The only way you beat them is if KCP, Danny Green go like one for eight from the field, which is, is normal for them. Like Kuzma does his typical theatrics. And you have to hope playoff Rondo doesn't appear. And... <laughs> All those guys were there for the Lakers tonight. Everyone stepped up, and Caruso was big off the bench. I mean, LeBron was just having his way. Anthony Davis was just having his way. The Miami Heat just had no answer. I mean, especially after Goran Dragic goes out, especially after Bam Adebayo goes out. They seemed deflated. This team seemed very deflated midway through the game. As if they were just happy to be in the finals, which I didn't expect from a team that's shown so much mental toughness already throughout this entire playoffs. So it definitely has changed my mind a little bit about how I think the series is going to go. Um, but yeah, hats off to the Lakers, man. That was that was in a masterpiece of a game one. Yeah, and let's talk a little bit about before we started watching this game one. I mean, me and you were texting back and forth, and I have been pretty <laughs> adamant that I see the Lakers taking this in five, and now I feel more confident about it. And you had you had the Lakers in six, right, before? I did. Yeah, Lakers in six because I, I, I thought this Heat team could match up pretty well across the floor outside of Anthony Davis, um, where I thought Bam might be able to hold his own in a couple games. So I had the Lakers in, in a modest six. And after seeing tonight's game, and obviously circumstances are, are totally coming into play with this prediction, I, I think the Lakers have this in five, and I was very close to calling this a sweep. <laughs> but the only reason I didn't call it a sweep is because when the Lakers played the Magic, the Dwight Howard-led Magic in the finals, gosh, that was like 10 years ago now, 11 years ago now, that was a 4-1 series. And if that was a 4-1 series, I think this is going to be a 4-1 series, too. That's the only thing that prevented me from calling this a sweep. Yeah, I mean, that series was a little bit closer than people most people would think. Game 3 and Game 4 were pretty close. There was a clutch Derek Fisher 3 <laughs> that really put that series away to make it 4-1. But yes, I do see some of that happening in this game series at some point I do think the Heat will bounce back with some adjustments bearing the injuries that did happen it's still uh, well we know Goran Dragic suffered the planter the planter tear so he's yeah, he's out big one big one yeah, so, that just got released right the yeah planter fashion news Ooh. so that's a tear there and it's unfortunate because when you look at the replay it didn't look like much happened there it looked like Jimmy Butler's ankle roll was significantly worse but, you know, this is one of those injuries that's like an overuse that's just been building, building, building up. And it just happened to uh, sort of just 
come to the wor- its worst point at the wrong time, game one in the NBA Finals. And that that's yeah. a huge blow because Goran Dragic has had by far one of the best years of his career after a huge gap of many years of like uh, sort of being an almost overpaid player in this league. Uh, not matching mm-hmm. up to any of his numbers in in with that he that he did w- back when he was with the Phoenix Suns, um, but this was a huge year from him for him really finding his healthiness back in the bubble and being a huge part, uh, you know, to put those Celtics away. I mean, he had a huge game in Game Six and Game Seven, so that's an unfortunate loss uh, for the Miami Heat. But I mean, to turn this a little bit to the Lakers and what actually happened today in terms of like the lead. The Lakers just played Lakers basketball. The first six minutes, uh, you know, Frank Vogel win again with Dwight Howard. That quickly did not look to be the answer. And Dwight Howard was pulled from that. And with like four minutes left to go in the first quarter, the Lakers looked completely different. And in the second quarter, just completely took control. And the Lakers did what they do best, which is force turnovers, force bad shots from the opposition, win the rebounding battle, so 54-32, to uh, get the Ooh. ball into Anthony Davis and force shots inside, LeBron James force shots inside, and really put the Miami Heat in foul trouble with Bam, having to leave the first quarter with two fouls, having to come in late into the second quarter with the foul trouble. Um, and, and the Heat, you know, I'll give them credit because they read the scouting report and they knew how to try to beat how you can try to beat this Laker team, and that's force this team to shoot, force LeBron to shoot, take the mid rangers, force Danny Green and KCP to try to beat you. Unfortunately, today uh, that coin toss landed on the right side for the <laughs> Lakers. KCP hitting two big threes in the first, LeBron, AD, and fifteen total made threes for this team, shooting forty percent and. When the Lakers shoot 40% from three for being a team that's slightly below average, mm-hmm. I mean, it's hard. It's tough. It's tough to beat this yeah. team. And let's not forget 92% from free throw, too. Yeah, there you go. The that's two- unprecedented for them. <laughs> yeah, so not only volume-wise did they win the free throw, I mean, and you knew that going in is like, this team's going to shoot free throws. LeBron's going to be aggressive. AD's going to be aggressive. But they're not a very good free throw shooting team. <laughs> they are like below average we're talking like in the ranks of the orlando magic in the ranks of the charlotte hornets mm-hmm. in terms of free throw shooting percentage in the regular season but tonight 90 percent more free throws than the miami heat and they knocked them all down ad 10 for 10 lebron only missing three free throws uh this was just a perfect recipe for the lakers to win winning the three-point battle winning the rebound battle winning the free throw battle you're you're just not gonna win However, I will say this, and that gives me, that's what gives me a reason that the Miami Heat can still win this, win at least one game and get some pretty close is that if they keep playing this game at some point, Danny Green and KCP are not going to knock down threes. Now, neither are Rondo, so that might give you a chance. It might give you a chance, but I mean, we have to look at all the factors of this game, and it wasn't just the Lakers' good shooting from both the line, the three point line that won them this game it was their defense yeah i mean even with a garbage time fourth quarter basically the entire fourth quarter the heat didn't even score 100 points in this game (laughs) and obviously that speaks to two of your your main point scores and bam and Dragic being injured but it also points to the lakers just stifling them and whatever they wanted to do and this is a miami Heat team that scored 28 points in the first quarter and those second and third quarters man they just locked them down 
they just seemed like they outsized them, obviously out-rebounded them, like you mentioned earlier. And it just didn't seem like any basket was going to be easy for this team. It's used to having good ball movement that's able to spread the floor well, uh, that has multiple playmakers in Harrow, Butler, um, Dragic usually when he's playing. I mean, this is a team that can beat you in many different ways, and, and the Lakers were able to pretty much stifle whatever the Heat could throw at them. I mean, they even tried multiple different guys they threw in Kendrick Nunn in the fourth quarter because they ran out of options I mean maybe that speaks more to garbage time than anything but uh, th- this was a team searching for answers and I mean they only shot 40 percent I think through three quarters and were able to bump that up to almost 43 percent by the end of the game but at the end of the day they were just not able to get any points on this big strong Laker team yeah and I mean this is a team that when you talk about their strength their strength is quick zone defense right like the 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 weak the weakness in the zone defense is like non-athletic guards who can't close out on threes can't close out on the middle points and this team has been leaning their heads on the fact that they got quick guards young guards out there who can close those in and they can knock down the three quickly on the other end uh this team was ranked second in the regular season second in the bubble in terms of three-point percentage first in the playoffs and tonight they were they they were outscored from the three point line in terms of volume and percentage from mm-hmm. again a below average three point <laughs> shooting team in the Los Angeles Lakers. Like you got KCP and you got Danny Green, sure you got some names in there, but again, you look back at all the games from the Lakers and th- that's not their calling card. It hasn't been, and tonight it was. Um, so. When you do that, if you can't find a way to stop the three from the Lakers, then it's just bad. And the Lakers found a way to stop the stop the three from Miami, ran them off this line. They're 11 for 35, 31%. That's just not a recipe to win for for the Miami Heat. And Tyler Harrell, the, the hero for them throughout this playoffs, had a plus or minus of negative 35. Oh, just oh, got oh. off a lot on the floor, giving up points left and right. 30 minutes, six for 18 from the field and two turnovers and fouling left and right. Like Tyler Hero just could not stay in front of people. KCP looked like an all-star out there. <laughs> oh, Caruso man. and Rondo being guarded from them. Uh, you know, and it, it's, it's tough. They got beat up. Bam Adebayo didn't even really get a legitimate shot at guarding AD, so it's not even like we could talk mm-hmm. about that being the matchup problem. Frank Vogel just did a hell of a job of protecting uh, AD from Bam. Miami Heat did a good job double-teaming him every time he caught the ball in the first quarter, but the Lakers made the adjustment. They went small. They found him in the right spots. They found LeBron in the right spots, and they opened this lead up and just never looked back again. Yeah, it, it was an astounding performance. I, I definitely give. I, I mean, you could. It's a toss up between LeBron and AD, but I give the best performance of this game to Anthony Davis because he just looked unstoppable. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, the post moves, playing all, off the ball and driving while the uh, like Kuzma. I, there was this one play where Kuzma was driving in, and Anthony Davis just sprints in from the baseline, and it's an easy dunk. And he he had multiple plays like that during this game, and just his ability to know the spots to go to to get the easy baskets it's just it makes him so dominant i mean 34 points nine rebounds five assists on the game and he probably honestly played too many minutes in this game if i'm being perfectly honest 38 yeah. minutes that's way more than anyone else played this game it's the finals i guess if you, if you only have to play in three more games then that's fine 
But yeah, on the other side, like you mentioned, Tyler Harrow, worst performance <laughs> of this game. I mean, it's not just the minus 35, which I mean, that can speak to a lot of factors, but he just had some boneheaded rookie style plays <laughs> in this game where he gets a rebound and just like bounces the ball on the floor right in front of KCP, who's just like, oh, cool, free ball, and just takes it from him right off of a out of bounds, like not even out of bounds, just like right off of a rebound. Yeah. And this happened a few times, and he even caught a ball while he was out of bounds. He had not put himself back into play yet. And this was just, this is a guy you're like, oh, maybe he made this next step. And we even talked about him being an all-star, but now here he is just shrinking in the moment. Yeah, he's he's their primary ball handler. I, I just don't know what happened to him. He seems to have lost all his touch. Yeah, and and on the other side as well, like Duncan Robinson, over three plus minus negative eight. Maybe Oof. not quite as bad, but I mean Duncan Robinson non factor. Yeah, twenty seven minutes. Like Eric Spolster just could not keep this guy out there. Uh, Casey Peaton, you know, knocking down those back to back threes, driving the ball. He had that little fade away, like. Duncan Robinson was guarding him like he kept giving up position on that side of the of the court and again Eric Spolster just could not keep him in this game because he was such a liability Tyler Hero goes in you know hopefully the offensive side uh outdoes the the defensive deficiencies but you could you didn't get the right balance again and those two guards have been huge for Eric Spolstra. I mean, you got some good signs from Kendrick Nunn, but it's I'm not I'm not buying that completely. It was a little bit of garbage time. The Lakers did turn off the gas, but he closed in eight for eleven, eighteen points, plus or minus plus eight. Looks a little bit better on paper. But honestly, <laughs> like that was all garbage time. So I'm not gonna be quick to say that Kendrick Nunn is the answer here. What the real answer here is for Eric Spolster is to try to figure out some sort of team adjustment. Uh, to get his guys in better position to guard the Lakers and get their guys in better position to to be more effective on the offensive end. I don't know, man. I think Kendrick Nunn is going to have to be the answer for this team because, I mean, let, let's look at what the Heat need to do to turn this series around, right? So you have Gordon Drogic likely out at least at least one game, maybe the rest of the series with the torn plantar fascia. I did see a tweet from... I can't. I think Adrian Wojnarowski retweeted this that Joe Johnson tore his plantar fascia in Game Two of like the 2013 NBA Finals, and they gave him an injection and he was able to play, but he wasn't very efficient. His shooting suffered tremendously because you just can't you can't jump the same way, you can't go on it the same way. So I think Kendrick Nunn is gonna have to step up in Gordon Dragic's place and it's not a role he's unfamiliar with because it's he was the starter for the entire regular season before the bubble started and they only weren't playing him in the in the bubble because he came in late he had covid and he wasn't conditioned and he wasn't game ready well now that's your option and I do think it is promising for the heat that he was able to actually shoot efficiently even if the Lakers weren't trying their hardest like, he's going to have to go out there and play hard. And so for him to be able to fill in for Goran Dragic, I think is a huge part of the Heat turning this series around. And with Bam Adebayo out, too, with that shoulder injury that he likely sustained with the Celtics, that is almost insurmountable. If yeah. he can't play, and the x-rays came out negative for him, but that speaks nothing about the pain he's feeling. 
we saw what Olenek and Hill bring to the table, and it's not very much. So I think you're going to have to rely on a very small ball lineup moving forward, which means you're going to have to let Anthony Davis score 40 points a game on you. But you're gonna have to you're gonna have to outplay them on the other end, and I think a big part of that is just getting back to their three point game. I think Duncan Robinson getting going early is so important for this team because if you get this this dude who wasn't even supposed to play in the NBA, let's be honest, if you get this dude a, a few threes in the first quarter, it really sets the tone for the rest of the game. Uh, we saw it in the Celtics series in, in Game Six. This dude lit up, lit them up for like four threes in the first quarter, and that set the tone for the rest of the game. They need to get that guy going um, if they're going to turn the series around. Yeah, in terms of like, how can the Miami Heat possibly win this? One, you got to pray that you get banned, <laughs> or at the very least, maybe if the worst case scenario, lose Game Two and then come back strong for Game Three and sit Butler and Bam if they truly are hurting that much, but. Ideally, that's not what you do. Ideally, this what you do is, you know, you you stick to your game plan, stick to the zone defense, collapse the inside, don't let Anthony Davis beat you, exhaust the man, get under his nerves as Solomon Hill was trying to do, and maybe it works <laughs> for a game or two, and you just Ugh. continue letting this Laker team shoot from the outside, force Danny Green, Rondo. KCP and some LeBron threes to beat you, but you do not let this team beat you from the inside. And you just gotta, again, you just gotta continue leaning on your young guards to do some magic, some miracle magic that you've seen through this Eastern Conference run, which is Tyler Hero getting hot, Duncan Robinson getting hot, and Jimmy Butler just continuing to be a dog. But again, this is all <laughs> reliance on the fact that Bam and Jimmy Butler can possibly come back healthy because Jimmy Butler looked bad in that third quarter and in the first part of that fourth quarter when he did try to play did not look like why they put him back in yeah he like you you're not gonna win this game i don't care if you're down 17 like don't don't give yourself that hope and then re-injure his ankle yeah exactly It, it he was when he was at the free throw line he just had this face of distress he was in Mm -hmm. he was in pain he wasn't comfortable and he was out there for who knows what reason, right? Like, he's a player. I'm sure he wants to compete. But that's where the coaching staff has to step in and be like, you know what? This is just not worth it. Uh, we need to we need to pick and choose our battles, and this is one that we, we have to accept we lost and move on. But nonetheless, they played him. They did, chirp, they did chip away at that lead. But, you know, again, like 25, 5, or 1 point loss, it doesn't matter. A loss is a loss. Yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, it's it's a large hill. I think a much larger hill than we ever could have anticipated for this Heat team to climb to even have a chance in this series. I think Bam, Bam Adebayo, I don't think we really realized how much he meant to this team until he's out. And you're not even playing your backup center in Myers Leonard because he's that bad. Yeah. And they'd have nothing behind him. I mean, they only went to Olenek in garbage time. Like, they did not want to play this guy. And I mean, I feel like he played pretty well, especially on the defensive. I mean, he had two blocks. But, I mean, I don't know. They, they must know something that I don't there. Um, I feel like Bam's going to end up playing, although he's going to be hurt. Man, that so you, you remember that report that came out during the game that Bam wouldn't take painkillers oh. because he's afraid of needles? I don't know how much truth is in that. I think when it comes down to it, Bam will do what it takes. It, 
At least that's what I want to I mean, think. I, I should hope so, yeah. but did he not do it for the Celtics series then? Is that what that's saying? I don't know, man. That was an interesting thing to hear. Maybe he didn't. They walked away with the win, but that's just not going to fly. I mean, again, what is the Lakers' strength? It's size. It's Anthony Davis. And the only guy on this roster that has any chance is Bam Adebayo. <laughs> I mean, Eric Spolster tried throwing Jay Crowder, Olenek, um, Solomon Hill. Solomon Hill. Iguodala <laughs> couple. And none of these guys stand it. Davis is too quick. No. He's too big. He's too strong. He's he, too good. He's just too big, too strong. That's the motto. Exactly. <laughs> the Lakers are just too big and too strong. With given with or without the two seven footers in JaVel and Dwight Howard, Anthony Davis is a first team All NBA. You're going to need uh, at least a top defender in this league, and that's Bam Adebayo is the only guy on this roster who can even come close to that. If he's not in there, then this this team is going to sacrifice a lot to try to contain Davis. And then it's just going to be Lakers. Take your pick on which guy you want to have a big night tonight. Afraid of needles. Yeah, dude. and I guess the, like you're going to give up your forfeit your NBA finals because of needles. No way, that's not happening. Yeah, and I guess to you know to give the Lakers their fair shot right here. We already talked about what the key need to do to turn this series around, and there's a lot of variables flying around. What do the Lakers need to do to close this out soon? Uh, for me, it's knocking down shots. If the Heat are going to give you the open shots, then take them. And it looks like, you know, from what we saw, is Dwight Howard may not be the right answer, but that's fine. Frank Vogel continues to adjust. Credit again to Rob Palenka for putting together a roster that right now we didn't see it in the regular season. But one of their biggest strengths is just the versatility of this roster Mm -hmm. you got Markeith at the five if it works against Rockets it didn't work against Denver who cares you got Dwight Dwight's not the answer then maybe we go back to Markeith or maybe we go we ultimately go to what people have been asking for which is Davis at the five and Kuzma at the four LeBron at the four or Markeith at the four and that's the ultimate strength here also for the Lakers is the versatility so what do they need to do to continue winning just keep playing on that strength keep throwing lineups out there and adjusting as the heat adjust as well and at some point I think the Lakers are going to crack the Rubik's Cube in this game they cracked it pretty quickly in the second quarter <laughs> and completely took control next game maybe it's in the third quarter I do expect Miami Heat to fight back or maybe they don't. Maybe these injuries are too much and the Lakers just simply do what they do and put this game away fairly quickly. Um, but at this, but at what do they need to do ultimately? Lie on their versatility, win the rebounding battle and continue playing Laker defense first turnovers and win, and win the, the, the overall field goal attempt battle and get those second and capitalize on the second chance opportunities. Yeah, I agree with you. I feel like there's not a lot they need to change. From what they did this game, it's hard to pinpoint things to do better after after a performance like this uh, when you're the Los Angeles Lakers. But I think those are definitely things to look out for. I mean, you're not always going to shoot that well from three. Um, they're not always going to shoot that poorly from three. They're not always going to be that careless with the ball in, in certain situations. And so, um, yeah, it's always good to, to be watching the tape and be looking out for that stuff. But uh, my, my question to you right now, Alan, is obviously we have all these injuries to the Heat. As a Laker fan, how do you feel seeing this team get so depleted and deflated? Does it t- 
take away from the moment for you at all? Or are you just like, I don't care if I'm playing against a bunch of snails out there. Like, I'm just happy the Lakers are winning. You know, I I feel like there's going to be people that are going to discredit this team. And and whatever it is, for whatever reason, fine, you can do it. But at the end of the day, the path to the finals is so extremely hard. I mean, I don't know the exact stat, but I'm sure the stat has to be upwards of plus 50% in terms of NBA players who actually reach the NBA finals. I mean, we can just look at the roster between these two guys. Jimmy Butler, uh, you know, third team all NBA guy. I uh, guess crack top 20 NBA players never reached an NBA finals until right now. All those guys on that heat roster outside of Andre Guadalla have never reached the NBA <laughs> yeah. finals. And Andre Guadalla rode, you know, one of the greatest teams in NBA history. Look at the, right. the Laker roster. Like it took Rob Palenka pick and choosing to get some finals experience on this roster. Uh, Dwight Howard hasn't been to the NBA roster, the NBA finals since, you know, 2009, and this guy is a three-time all all defense NBA player, multiple-time first team. Uh, you know, it's Rondo, another guy. You know, smart guy, played on some good teams. Hasn't made the NBA Finals again since 2010. And we can go on and on on the list. The path to the NBA, you know, the 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 <laughs> exactly J.R. Smith. Not until he linked up with LeBron James, and I think it's super easy to say like, "Oh, the Lakers got an easy path," just because you have a guy like LeBron, who's we've just gotten so used to getting there all the time. But that is such an extreme anomaly. So no, I mean the Lakers mm-hmm. made this journey and they got to the NBA Finals. And guess what? This team just ended up being a hell of a lot better than we thought they were going to be. I myself thought that this team was going to finish third or fourth in the NBA seedings, and I think most people did. I think we all thought Denver uh, and Clippers were totally going to win the regular season battle, and the Lakers were going to have to have a huge uphill climb in the playoffs, and they didn't. They got the number one seed, and they did play some tough teams in the playoffs. Portland, uh, the Houston Rockets. Houston. Yeah, two Mm -hmm. former MVPs. And, you know, I feel like not enough respect is given to the Denver Nuggets. Again, a great, oh, great no, yeah, team. Sure. And I think in hindsight, we're going to realize how good this team is, I think, after three years and seeing the runs that maybe they that they can do. But, no, I don't think it should discredit the 2015 Warriors beat a really beat-up Cavalier team, and I feel like nobody ever mentions that. So, so yeah, <laughs> I mean, as an NBA fan, it does suck a little bit that we're not going to see maybe the Heat at their absolute best. But at the end of the day, I think I think we all already thought that the Lakers were probably going to take this. Right, yeah. I think that that is, I think, the best point you could make about this. At the end of the day, everyone favors the Lakers to win this series, even when we came into this game with the Heat being at full strength. And the Lakers proved that, I mean, they're, they're strong. They're tough. They, they've withstood some really tough teams to get to this point. And, and so have the Heat. For their own credit, mm-hmm. but I mean, you you have these injuries happen. I mean, the, the, you could be saying the same thing for the Lakers, but would they have lost this game? I don't, I don't know. Like, if LeBron James gets hobbled, do they still win this game? Maybe. Um, there's just a lot of factors that you have to put into it. I I think the only thing I'll say about injuries in, in regards to at least this Miami Heat team is it does rob us as NBA fans of seeing a better game. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, because because next man up doesn't always work. I mean, Kendrick Nunn is not Goran Dragic. Kelly Olynyk is not Bam Adebayo. So 
is this really the, the battle between the two best teams if some players are injured? Not really. But at the same time, yes, because these teams got to where they got because they they earned it. Yeah. And so, yeah, from, from a Lakers standpoint, it doesn't put an asterisk on it. I totally agree with you. But from an NBA fan standpoint, this really sucks. It really sucks, and and even from if I even as a Lake, if I was like a diehard Lakers fan, I am a Lakers fan, but as a Clippers fan, I hate seeing other players go down to injury on other teams because in my mind, if I don't beat the other team at their full strength, I'm gonna get ridiculed as like oh like you only won because so and so was out, which is stupid, but that's how people think, and so. At the end of the day, that's like, man, I'm going to be so upset if that's what people come with at the end of the day for this series. It's like, oh, the Lakers only won because Bam out of bio, Jimmy Butler got hurt. And again, I think that's to the same point that it's like, it's not it's not so much about winning the NBA Finals, but the journey to even get there. And also not forgetting yeah. the context of the journey, the teams that you did beat to get there. And also, like, again, I think the Lakers were favored to win this regardless. I think they were. Slightly, they are better than the Heat, I think, if you take everything into account. Do the Heat still have a chance to beat the... Of course, anything is possible. But I think nothing should be taken away from these teams to even getting there. And it is a huge, huge bummer as NBA fans that I would love to see Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, and Goran Dragic. You know, Goran Dragic really putting an end to his career because... This might this this is the best season I've seen from him in a really long time and yeah. he's already past thirty and thirty two, I think, so this might have been the best season that's still left in the tank for him. And again, also for LeBron, right? It's like LeBron is the best player, one of the best players we've ever seen, if not the go, and I think it's still worth just appreciating this moment for him and and yeah, I mean it sucks, it's a bummer, but I don't want to take anything away from them. And I think that might just like transition us pretty well into the point of for the second half of this podcast is how these teams actually got here and let's start with the heat you know the heat again battling against a really tough path to get to this point against Mm -hmm. a Pacers team that was red hot TJ Warren looked like an MVP (laughs) in the bubble Uh, I remember those days (laughs) right and then against the red hot bucks against the actual back-to-back MVP in this league in the Milwaukee Bucks and a tough defense that they ran and they really just destroyed the schemes of that team and (laughs) broke the holes through and then the Celtics team that fought hard Marcus Smart Jason Tatum the the futures of the league and Jimmy Butler said wait a minute I'm still here. I'm still one of the best wings in this league. You want to be one of the best leagues, but I am still one of the best wings in this league. And, you know, winning this, winning this, winning a red hot series for two, Eric Spolster out coaching Brad Stevens, in my opinion, to, to take away a much, a much uh, competitive series. Yeah. And I think that is definitely one of the biggest takeaways here is that Eric Spolster really cemented himself as a great coach in this league. Because I think before this year, he was just seen as the guy that sandbagged off LeBron to win a few finals. And he doesn't really get any credit for those wins. That all goes to LeBron and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. But now that he's made it to the finals without him, without even a superstar really on his team, that makes his legacy that much better. 
Uh, even even if they get ousted pretty quickly in this finals, like I think Eric Spolstra is is still ranks as like a top three coach in this league because of this performance at this at this day and age at at this exact time in in history because this team had no business being here. Like you said, they went through teams that they should have lost to, like the Boston Celtics have have some of the best young talent in the league, the Bucks with Giannis. I mean. For the Heat to beat this team with basically playing like three rookies in their starting rotation, uh, seemingly washed up Goran Dragic before this bubble started, and then a journeyman in Jimmy Butler that just couldn't find the right home and seemed like a loser, honestly. <laughs> and they, they ended up winning as many games as the Lakers did and only losing as many as the Lakers did in, in this finals up until this point in, in this playoff, so... I, I do think it's an incredible feat for Spolstra. I, I think it really speaks to the Heat's future now with so many young guys. I mean, Bam's only in his second year. Uh, Tyler Harrow, Kendrick Nunn, Duncan Robinson, all rookies. And they show that they were the superior young talent in the in this series against Jason Tatum, who people have argued could be like the next best player in the league, which I think is ridiculous, by the way. But he's a great player. And Jalen Brown was playing great. Kemba Walker was, was coming to form. Um, but Bam Adebayo, man, was just unstoppable. He made Tice look ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, that game six, 32 points, 14 rebounds, five assists on that bum shoulder that, I mean, maybe he wasn't feeling too bad during that game. Maybe he was just playing through the pain. But, I mean, this Heat team just proved that they can keep up with anybody. Yeah, I agree. And Eric Spolstra, I mean, the – announcers you know mark jackson jeff and gunny were talking about it and lebron has talked about it too is like why isn't he well recognized i love lebron's answer he's like it's because of you guys and you know alluding to the media because <laughs> yeah when you look at this man's track record like this miami heat team has never really gone to a rebuild since 2010 they've only missed the playoffs twice and only twice that they yeah. not win over half their games and this is a roster that has had a bunch of changing faces. Hassan Whiteside. Uh, I don't even Dwayne Elder Dwayne Wade. And Dwayne Wade's always been there. Yeah. Right. Like it's like Udanis Haslam has always been there. And then around them, they've had all these changing faces of guys. Uh, I don't even really. James Johnson was one of the guys on there. Like, and Josh, Richardson. Josh Richardson, like all these yeah. changing faces. And Eric Spolster has just adjusted to his roster and continued winning games. And this year, Somehow he got some young bloods and really a misfit in Jimmy Butler to lock in <laughs> and get enough wins to get them the fourth seed and make some noise in this bubble and get them into the NBA Finals. So a huge props to him, huge props to everybody. Uh, Goran Dragic again, 20 points per game to lead the Heat in scoring against Boston Celtics and solidifying and rejuvenating his career. Uh, so in terms of the Celtics, though, They've got some questions. I mean, this is the core they've been running with for a couple years now. And believe it or not, Gordon Hayward, we are towards the end of this man's contract. It seems like not that long ago he first signed and suffered that horrific injury in the first game against the Cleveland Cavaliers that we thought was was for sure going to be an Eastern Conference preview. And we never mm-hmm. – well, we got that with LeBron versus the, the Young Bloods back in 2018 but never really got the the series that we all thought we were going to get in Gordon Hayward with yeah with LeBron and stuff but here we are he's got a player option 
I'm probably definitely sure he's probably going to opt into that <laughs> given the, the last years he's had. But basically, after this, there's really no cap space left. You've agreed to Jason Tatum. You've agreed to uh, Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown. The inside is still a huge, huge hole for this roster. Uh, you got the plethora of picks, though. I mean, what do you see next for this Boston Celtics team here, Sean? Uh, I mean, it's going to be a good few years for them regardless. I mean, I think this team feels like it had what it took to beat the Miami Heat and make the NBA Finals right now, but they just couldn't figure out a high school zone defense. <laughs> so that, that, that is, I think, is, is the next step for them is figuring out how to get around that specific defense. But as far as personnel, I mean, like you said, they don't have any cap space. And especially if we're looking at a weird year again next year with, I mean, the season's going to start in January, most likely. Who knows what the cap space is going to look like. I, they might have nothing left but like a mid-level exception. Um, and they'll still probably be in the luxury tax at that point. So to get to get a, like a cheap big man that you can bring on the bench, off the bench, not not for every game, but just for certain matchups in the playoffs and rely on for like just solid energy um, and just... So maybe some rebounding and some and some tough defense, like that's what they really are only missing because you don't need scores. You got you got three or four of them on the roster. You have a great defensive scheme. You have you have the coaching staff, and you have the 14th pick in the 2020 draft, which I think that might be the easiest way for them to find a good big man there. Because I mean they they've tried a few times in the draft. I, I they think Robert Williams was a pick they made two years ago. Um, I, th- I think they got Grant Williams in the draft last year, but he's he's not really a big man. So I think I think this is the one that they really need to look at getting a big man with this. They don't seem like they want to ever play Cantor, <laughs> which I feel like I, I don't really know what's wrong. I mean, Cantor was able to help the Blazers make it to the conference finals last year. On a year. broken shoulder. On a broken <laughs> shoulder. I just don't understand why they don't want to play him at all behind Tice. I mean, instead of going with Tice, they go with um, – or after Tice comes out, they go with Robert Williams over him. I feel like Cantor is a much more skilled guy. I mean, maybe not as much on the defensive end, but – they're not happy with him, obviously. So I think you need to look elsewhere for a big man if you're not going to use him. And I think this 14th pick is going to be their best bet because um, free agency is going to be slim pickings otherwise. Yeah, this is going to be huge for Boston. I mean, the Eastern Conference, I think, is going to be slightly better next year. But maybe Boston you know, still finds themselves in the top four. But the Nets are going to be in there. Uh, come, I'm sure the Bucks are going to come back oh, a little yeah. bit harder. You got the Raptors too. Raptors, Pacers. Um, again, this the Pacers are interesting. Yeah, I don't know about the Pacers. They're they'll be there, but we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll, we'll get yeah. to that. Yeah, and I mean Miami's going to be there, so things aren't going to get, aren't getting any easier for the Boston Celtics. So they're back in that scramble with another huge player added to the mix in in the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, so there is some sense of urgency to try to figure out how to make this round out this roster a little bit better. I mean, the long shot here is obviously you get Gordon Hayward to decline his player option, really (laughs) opening up a huge amount of cap space. But (laughs) yeah, good luck. Yeah. And you're laughing for a reason. That's a $34 million contract year right there. Exactly. Especially especially if cap space is lower than people expect it to be. 
there is no way he's turning this down. Yeah, and there's another caveat here in that Jason Tatum is eligible for his extension oh, pretty he's soon get here. Paid. Yeah, but that's the thing. It's like once you get Hayward's contract off, you just give it to Tatum. Yeah, and it just becomes that much harder <laughs> to really upgrade this roster. Uh, so yeah. the 14th pick is huge, and we'll see what happens there for this team. Moving on from there, let's talk about the Lakers because we have to talk about this game, this uh, this game five, magical game from LeBron James to completely oh, seal the deal on a tough, tough Nuggets team. I mean, again, this is a series that went five games, but it didn't feel like it. It felt like this was a series that should have been six or seven because it just came down to really possessions, pinpointing possessions that should have gone one way versus another. Starting with that game two, obviously, Anthony Davis hitting that game winner. Uh, game, Game four, Lakers really just nailing down and finding their way into the free throw line and then game five uh jamal murray hobbles a little bit maybe if he doesn't get hobbled down maybe he finds it he does one of those heroics again that goes shot for shot with lebron's in that fourth quarter to get the nuggets within fighting chance to take that game but it doesn't end up working that way instead it ends up with lebron james going for six straight points to close the deal and put this team away and I think when we first when we were first previewing this series, that's what we said, right? Like Denver Nuggets have versatility in Grant, uh, you know, all these Tory Craig, Craig <laughs> uh, Gary Harris, uh, all these pieces who could really be versatile, namely Grant switching off between Davis and LeBron and Jokic, a big guy in the middle. Paul Millsap, another dude who's not willing to go down without a fight. They had pieces in there to give the Lakers a hard time, but they truly didn't have anybody to match up with LeBron. AD, yes. The guards, yes. Uh, but nobody to really match up with LeBron's speed and size, and he ended up being the X factor and taking the Lakers home and uh, really sealing the deal for the Lakers in a very heroic way. Yeah, I mean, almost averaging a triple-double, 27, 10, and 9 averages on 52% shooting for this man. Uh, yeah, and like you said, that game five was crazy, and it, it just really showed his heart as a competitor because he knew going into that, it's like I watched Donovan Mitchell go down three one. I watched Kawhi go down when they're up three one. I'm gonna about to prove that that means nothing to me, and he just took over. And I, yeah, obviously, I in a different world, maybe Jamal Murray keeps up with him and is able to go point for point with him, but. He was spent. Let's be real. And this is a dude that was averaging well over 40 minutes a game in the previous two series. After game one, he was averaging 44 minutes a game in this series against the Lakers, which, I mean, I don't care how young you are. Like, you are going to be exhausted. I mean, having a score against LeBron, Anthony Davis, and the crew. And he still put up good numbers. I mean, 25 points a game on 52% shooting, along with four rebounds and seven assists. I mean, this guy was fighting hard to get everything that he got. But the big factor here was Nikola Jokic Mm -hmm. was not the dominant force that we saw in the Clippers series because we had no size to bother him, and the Lakers' size really bothered him. I mean, 
game five was really pivotal. I mean, this is the one, this is the deciding game. Are, are the Nuggets going to come back from 3 1 or are the Lakers going to close out in five? This was the immovable object versus just the unstoppable force type of, type of thing. And Jokic getting those two fouls early and then getting in foul trouble earlier in the second two, he only played 30 minutes in an elimination game. He was only able to play 30 minutes because he got so many fouls. He averaged three less points a game, six less rebounds in the Lakers series compared to the Clippers series. So his production was heavily bothered by this Laker team, and it just it just speaks to the amount of drive, energy, and defense that this Laker team was able to play with that that Jokic never didn't have to face in the previous series. Yeah, and the, and you know credit to Frank Vogel, the Rob Palenka, the versatility of this Laker roster to just adjust. Again, Markeith Morris, Kyle Kuzma, and Anthony Davis, those three were the answer on the front court against Houston. But they were not the answer against Nuggets, and the adjustment was made quickly. And Dwight Howard, (laughs) Dwight Howard was huge. Mm -hmm. He was huge. His game... He was. I I doubt it. You doubt (laughs) it. And I said that adjustment was going to be big, and Frank Vogel moved away from having Markeith Morris at the five, you know, that lineup, the gift there is you're quicker and the offensive end you you have the gift of so many three three point shooters on the floor. That wasn't the answer, and Frank Vogel never played that lineup again after game two, instead opting in with his big men, whether it was Anthony Davis at the five and Marquise Morris at the four, JaVel McGee at the five and Dwight Howard at the five, and those not a lot of JaVel McGee, but a lot of Dwight Howard in game five, he was there. And he, he every time Jokic was in. He was there as well. And credit to Dwight Howard, too. The way he played in Game 2 versus the way he played in Game 5 was completely different. He was more dialed in. No antics. Just straight defense. Straight rebounding. And he, you know, he might have flopped a couple times on two of those fouls on Jokic. (laughs) But nonetheless, it was huge, right? And it's the game. That's That's the game. game. And people do it all the time. Jokic does it himself. A lot of people have complained about (laughs) him. One of the calls in the third quarter, you know, was in Jokic too, you know, not disciplined, reaching in, and he made a, a dodo to reach in, and that was it. That was the call, <laughs> and that was a game changer there. Gave the Nuggets no chance to come back. And again, for the Nuggets, I think looking forward is that's going to be an Achilles heel that was exposed by the Lakers. Uh, and I'm sure other teams are going to copy that moving forward. And against if you're, I guess if we're going to compare it to the Clippers series, Montrezl Harrell was never able to take advantage of that. Zubak was never able to take advantage mm-hmm. of some of the, some of the bad, the bad reach-ins or bad defensive plays that Jokic will do. Uh, you know, given his 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 lack of speed, his lack of athleticism on the defensive end, and somehow Howard and Anthony Davis also were able to exploit that and just get Jokic off the floor, which did huge for the Lakers. Yeah, I mean, yeah, only if you only have to worry about Murray, that makes your job a lot easier, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Jokic was really the reason we lost that that series. Murray was great, but Jokic was the main reason and he is the best player on this team. I mean, Murray is the flashier player, but Jokic is the best player. So, to take him out of the game and to be able to do that, to execute the game strategy to do that was very impressive. Yeah. So moving into what's next for Denver, unless you have any more thoughts on, on the Lakers I was just going to have one out. thought, one last thought. When we talk about yeah. elimination games or closing out, 
LeBron, 15 for 25 in that game five. Again, that same storyline yeah. of Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, what they simply <laughs> didn't even do, in, which is a step one, just shoot the ball. Shoot the ball. Your, your yep. back is against the wall. Team is just not shooting well. What do you do? You take control of the offense. You are a finals MVP. Shoot the ball. <laughs> Quiet Howard didn't even get to 15 <laughs> shots that game. LeBron here, 15 for 25. Very efficient. But 25 shots, right? Like he took most of those mm-hmm. with five minutes left to go. It was all the, the offense around LeBron. Uh, you know, if a couple of those shots don't go in, maybe Denver has a chance of climbing back. But at least you, you lose on your best player here. Yeah, God bet on yourself. Twenty five shots. That's that's how you do an elimination game. Mm-hmm. Clippers, man. Just uh, let's yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> what's next for Denver? I mean, I think we can all agree that they had a very successful season overall, and I think they exceeded expectations. Maybe, maybe they think that the, this was par for the course for them, and then they have a little bit more work to do. And I think that's fine. But I do think they should be feel pretty happy with how they did. I mean, making it to the conference finals with with this team that was down Will Barton, um, still a very young team, not a lot of playoff experience, but, man, they, they gained a lot of experience in this playoff. So they're going to be a very dangerous team moving forward. What's next for them is not very difficult, I think. I mean, this is just growing your young stars. I mean, Jamal Murray, you saw him break out. Jokic back to the way he was a year ago. You just help them grow their game a little bit more. It's it's that Michael Jordan mentality. Just add one thing to your game every time you come back the next season. I think that's all it takes for this team. Um, they, their team chemistry is great. I mean, these guys have been around for a while. I think adding Jeremiah Grant to the mix was a fantastic fit for this team. A questionable move after giving up a first-round pick for him. Um, at the beginning of the season, you're like Jeremiah Grant. He's not I that never good, thought it was questionable. I thought it was a great I, I, move. I know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you, we didn't have a lot to go off yeah. of. I mean, Jeremiah Grant wasn't that used of a player in OKC. He was a bench player at best, and he really had a fantastic season for himself, especially in the playoffs. And so you have him now. You're gonna get Will Barton back from injury, and I think that's a huge piece. Um, but the, the big piece that they're losing is Paul Millsap. Yeah. And while he doesn't offer a lot of on-court efficiency, the veteran leadership is probably going to be missed. But I think with what this team was able to do in the playoffs this year, I think collectively that is a lot of veteran experience gained um, just from this season alone. Um, the maturity... And the fight that this team had to go through over and over again, I think, is going to replace that. I don't think you need to bring this guy back. I mean, this just gives more minutes to Michael Porter Jr., to Jeremiah Grant, to continue these young guys um, getting into their primes. That um, They might end up being amazing third options for this team. And you got to let Mason Plumley <laughs> walk. Please, please do not resign this guy. He is not an NBA player. He sucks. I'm sorry. This, he tries hard, and I give him credit for that. But he does not deserve to be playing on an NBA roster, especially one of the Denver Nuggets caliber. So I'm sorry, Plumlee, but like this is just not working out. Like You're holding this team back. Yeah, I agree. The Denver Nuggets are in one of the most fortunate spots in the NBA in that they pretty much have their core set. There are some question marks on like whether or not you could do better with certain pieces. You know, Mason Plumley 
letting him walk, what you can do with that cap space. But you already did the hard part. You already decided to sign Jamal yeah. Murray, and it was a great, great gamble. You already decided oh, to yeah. re-sign Jokic. <laughs> you know, great deal. Jokic is on his way to, again, you know, finishing fifth in MVP voting a couple years ago. He just needs to get another season under him where he where he really uh, or he really just put some progress together, add some more elements to his game. And we're talking again about a guy who can consistently probably finish top five MVP voting again for a couple of years. I think I don't see why not. He's the most versatile big man. If not, he is the best big man in this game at the five oh, yeah. spot. 100%. I don't think anybody 100%. comes close there. Uh, and Jamal Murray on his, I mean, after this playoffs, it seems like he's the third best point guard in the league right now. Can he keep that up mm-hmm. for an entire 82 games and next year in the playoffs? It's debatable, but it's realistic. It's realistic. And that's yeah. a huge step forward. Grant, I think the priority here is re-signing Grant. Uh, I think at 25 years old, the versatility yeah. this guy shows. And I mean, in that game five, it might have been a blowout had it not been for Grant. Knocking down threes, <laughs> playing great defense on AD, uh, and just putting some good shots in and running the floor for this team. So I think he's a priority. And maybe you can bring back Paul Millsap, I, I think, and bring him back nah, to take a lesser oh, role. Not you won't pay no, him. No, no, definitely don't pay, pay this man. No, do not pay this man. <laughs> you take him for a minimum deal. Maybe you can convince him to take a lesser role because at this point, I think Paul Millsap will be your piece for the playoff and not so much as in terms of like solidifying a team identity around him. Cause there is one yeah. thing about this team that I think I see as the biggest weak weakness. And that still continues to be protecting Jokic on the defensive end. Like if teams are going to continue to exploit him and get him into foul trouble, that's bad news. Uh, you need to try to get some guy in there who can, who can take some of that defensive load off of Jokic. Maybe that's Paul Millsap. You play him a lot more into the five and you, and he comes off the bench next year, or you bring in a free agent who's willing to take some of, take some, some more physical plays for Jokic just to protect this guy a little bit more. And Gary Harris, um, I think he's a good piece, but he wasn't that big in the playoff run for you. I mean, maybe it was a different, he actually was bad. He was pretty bad. So, I think he still has some value. Maybe you can get something for him in the trade market. I think that might be worth exploring because now you also have Michael Porter Jr. on the rise, uh, and he might be an interesting piece as well moving forward for this team. Yeah, and let's not forget Bulbul. Bulbul. <laughs> I still feel like that. That's still like one of those blinded, blindfolded dart throws that it's like that could pay off as well as Michael Porter Jr. did for this team. It's like. If you can get a seven foot three guy to be shooting threes for you, like that, that is a really nice piece to have off your bench. I agree. And this this Denver Nuggets team is headed to a great spot. The Western Conference is going to be super competitive next year. But if we're talking about a, a baton pass, I think this year showed a huge baton pass, and I think the Denver Nuggets in the Western Conference side are the team to take that. Uh, if the Warriors have one more run and then we see it next year, the Lakers, we see it next year, but the team next up just feels like it's this one. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, cause they're going to be good for many, many years. They're young and they got, they took a gamble when they signed these guys. And now these guys are locked in on great deals. And this is the team. This is your team moving forward. Yeah. Fantastic front office man like put together the team like this with with mike malone as yeah. the coach like this is 
yeah, they they knocked it out of the park, man. Hats off to them. Exactly. So now final thoughts uh, to close the podcast off. We got two points. The first one is Doc Rivers out as the L.A. Ugh. Clipper coach. Can we call this a firing or do we call it a resignation? Yeah, we call it. <laughs> it's a firing. There's no way Doc Rivers wanted to leave this team. Yeah. Uh, may, maybe he was as frustrated as as I am, but yeah, this was a firing. This this was Steve Ballmer being like, "I thought about it, and yeah, like this isn't working out." So, yeah, Doc Rivers' tenure as the Los Angeles Clippers coach over. He was the coach since 2013, wow. so he's been there a while, a while for for a team that hasn't done anything mm. that impressive playoff wise. But in the regular season records, I mean, four consecutive 50-win regular seasons with that Lob City Clipper team, that that would keep you in a job for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, may, maybe this should have happened earlier. I don't know. But a uh, no losing record seasons, and they only missed the playoffs one year. So pretty good on the regular season side of things. I mean, they're, you're winning a lot of games. You never had a losing record, not even in that quote-unquote rebuilding year where you had Lou Williams and Tobias Harris running the show in a year we were supposed to be super tanked, but we ended up having a great season that year. That's probably one of Doc Rivers' finest moments. Yeah. Um, but then you go into the playoff picture, and overall with the Clippers, 27-32 and 32 playoff record just will not get it done. We only got out of the first round three times. With, with that talented Lob City team, with this talented Kawhi and Paul George-led team, with just amazing death behind it, just he showed his lack of ability to handle these talented rosters. It really makes you question how he was able to get a championship with this Boston Celtics team because arguably you have an equal amount of talent on these Clippers teams. And you can't even get them past the second round. It's unbelievable. I, I think what ultimately led to his firing wasn't his production as far as wins. It was his lack of ability to handle chemistry issues on a team. And you, you saw debacles between Chris Paul and Blake Griffin during Lob City days. You, you hear all these reports coming about, about Paul George, Montrez Harrell drama. I mean, Lemon Pepper Lou is the nickname now. and that, that just goes to show you how how that went and, and even you know Kawhi Leonard you even saw him showing some discontent with the way Rivers was coaching the team um, in certain stretches of the regular season and lost faith in him during that time um, so yeah I think that that is ultimately what it boils down to is that they feel like they need a guy that can handle the locker room drama the off the court stuff to make the on the court stuff more productive yeah I mean I don't blame it. Doc Rivers was never, you know, he wasn't the guy Steve Ballmer chose. He is the multi-billionaire owner of this franchise. <laughs> He's got himself a new arena through much political lobbying, uh, much <laughs> investment to buy this team, get the arena approvals, get this arena set and under construction. He's playing, paying the luxury tax. He's done a lot. For for putting this Clipper team to fit his vision, and the one guy that was there that wasn't originally part of his vision was Doc Rivers, and it's <laughs> so tough to walk away from the way the Clippers came down. Uh, I mean, the Denver Nuggets went down five one. I'm sure they're disappointed, but they went out fighting, and 
the way the Clippers went down, it's there had to be some sort of repercussion, I think. And Doc mm-hmm. Rivers was the easier one. And it, when it comes down to changing things like culture, quote-unquote culture, got to start from the top. And Doc Rivers is the guy to go. Uh, and, you know, now Steve Ballmer has got a clean slate to completely do this Clipper team the way he envisioned. He's changed the logo. He's got the arena. He's got the new players. <laughs> And now he's finally get the chance to choose a new coach. Uh, so I'm just surprised that it didn't happen the, the day after the loss. Yeah, I wonder if they were waiting to see how the Nuggets were doing. It's like, okay, if the Nuggets do well against the Lakers, maybe it's not so much Doc as it is the Nuggets are just really good. But then when they saw the Lakers just take it to them in Game 5, they're like, okay, now we really need to consider this. And I, as a Clipper fan... I am satisfied with this move, you know? Like, I, I think Doc Rivers is a good coach. Like, the 3-1 bum, sure. Like, never really helped us win anything, sure. I do think he's a good coach, but I don't think he's the right coach for us. And he's going to get another job elsewhere. I mean, he's already getting calls from New Orleans and Philadelphia, um, so we hear. I don't know about the New Orleans job, but I feel like he might be a pretty decent coach for that Philadelphia team. He seems to do a lot better with veterans um, versus... Actually, no. No, he wouldn't do well in Philadelphia either. Chemistry issues there, too. Um, unless they unless they did something with that roster. I don't know, man. Doc Rivers needs a very specific type of roster um, for his coaching style to work. He needs veterans that don't have chemistry issues. Um, and aren't superstars because he can't, he just clearly can't work with them. He needs to go back to OKC, reunite with Gallo and Shake Ilgis. Ooh, yes, <laughs> yes. That's actually, that's not I bad. don't think he takes OKC that job. OKC hasn't gotten a new head coach yet, though, right? They haven't gotten a new no, head coach yet? I don't know if he takes Ooh. that job. That's such a total rebuilding Ooh. team. <laughs> I like Philadelphia. Philadelphia makes sense. No, man. You think he could handle Embiid Simmons I'm drama? not sure. Really? I don't know. No way. Sounds better. No, he can't even handle Paul George Montrez Harrell drama, dude. This is on a whole other scale. Sounds better than Mike D'Antoni for that roster, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to see it just for the chaos. Yeah. That'll be such a chaotic team. For the Clippers, though, they have a lot. They had a decent chunk of good assistant coaches, though. So, yeah. I mean, is Tyron Lue the next man up, or is Sam Cassell about to get his first head coaching job? I would be happy with either, honestly. I, I I think Ty Lue would do a good job. I would like to see what Sam Cassell can do as a head coach. I think he's got a great basketball mind. So I I wouldn't be uh, sad about either of them. But we'll, we'll see who else they reach out to externally, too. I'm sure those won't be the only two candidates that they look for. But I feel like they do have a good early insight in on that job. Yeah. So looking ahead to 2020, free age, 2020, 21 free agency. Clippers, Lakers, Nuggets. There's one guy for them all to hunt down, and that's Victor Odalipo, who's looking to move on from the Indiana Pacers. He's got one year, $21 million left on his contract. A dude looking to move out of the Pacers, a team that we just mentioned could be in the mix of the Eastern Conference. What is going on here? Could we see this guy moving on to a final contender? See, that's so interesting to me because he never really got situated with the new look of the team. I mean, Malcolm Brogdon just came into town, 
and he's just giving him up the starting point guard spot he doesn't feel like he can work with him like maybe he just thinks they're too similar and they can't work it out i think that's a little presumptuous if you ask me they haven't really had enough time to gel but i guess he's just he, he doesn't want to share the spotlight with him um it's weird i i didn't expect this out of but i thought he liked being on the pacers this is the team that gave him the opportunity to become an all-star so it's very weird for me um but I guess maybe he feels that this Pacers team isn't a title contending team and he wants to move on to be a Clipper Laker nugget though is that seems pretty tough. It's tough, especially Lakers or Clippers. I don't think that is likely at all. Even if that's his preferred destination, there would have to be some weird moves going on. I, if the Lakers win a title, I don't think they even try, (laughs) but Oh, man, who who else do you think would be a good fit for this guy? I mean, they'd have to trade for yeah. him, obviously, because he, he's still on contract. There's, there... So it has to be someone that has flexible contracts to move Whoa. that the Pacers or, or like assets the Pacers would true, want. True, true. I mean, the Clippers could put together a package: Lou Williams, Landry, Shamit. We gave up every. Oh, okay. yeah. It's not the yeah. greatest package, but it is a pa- way better than I think what the Lakers could do. Yeah, we have no draft picks. Yeah. Though. We can only offer player assets. I mean, so you got the Bucks. The Bucks, I think, would take a swing at this. Pair Eric Bledsoe. Um, not sure. Maybe da- Dante Devencho. Yeah. They got some. Just... Yeah. If it's the Bucks, you need draft picks in there for yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm not sure if the Pacers would go for it, but it is an interesting thing for the Pacers to let go of a piece like Victor, who. I mean, if he could get his legs back under him, he's a huge X factor to bring onto the roster mm-hmm. with already awakened Sabonis and TJ Warren and a solid player in Malcolm Brogdon. Like, hell of a roster in an East. Yeah, I feel like that'd be a good team. Why wouldn't he want to be a part of that? No idea. No idea. But nonetheless, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll keep in touch with what's going on here. And obviously, we are also looking forward to continuing to break down the NBA Finals game by game. Mini episodes, we'll call on them. Yeah. Yeah, we're doing mini episodes. That's that's going to be a first for us. So we're, we're going to be up-to-date live coverage of, of post-game every game. That'll be yeah, fun. Yeah, so don't forget to tune in and uh, check those out. So thanks, everybody. Yeah, have a good week, everyone. Yeah.